listening to Brave New Words. Why are you doing that? Oh, obviously because you have taste in books. Or maybe not, maybe you've stumbled upon us and are wondering what on earth is going on. Well, what's going on is books. I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... I'm Ross. I'm Dal. I'm producer Al. We're brought to you in association with Starburst Magazine, the world's oldest magazine of science fiction, fantasy and horror, or genre as we call it, or cult entertainment as they also call it. And yes it is, yes it is the oldest, yes it is, no sit down, yes it is. Uh, we're also brought to hear you in association with the wonky spanner. There isn't a spanner, spanner that is wonkier or spanier. Uh, and also you can find us on uh, fabradiointernational.com. Check your listing on the Fab Radio website for information. You can do this at Radio Bookworm. Please free, feel free to do so. And also tell us where and when you're listening to the show. That's always very cool. On today's show, we're taking a slight departure from books by not taking a departure from books. We're heading towards the 80s and Tales from the Loop. Um, but coming up next, a jingle. This, this is Fabrician International. That was a jingle. It yeah. was a jingle. So, um, we have done quite a few books in the past that are a bit nostalgic. Mm-hmm. And this is a games book. Okay, okay. So it's a game. It's a book that tells you how to play a game. It's a tabletop role-playing game. Uh, and the reason why we don't normally do these, we did Baron Munchausen a little while ago because that's more of a you know a book about stories. Yeah. And I had I thought long and hard about talking about this one, and thought you know what, why not? Um, so that sounds like more official than most of the I'll talk decision about stories. Exactly, but um, Tales from Baron Munchausen is about inspiring you to tell your own stories. Tales from the Loop is a specific sort of story and it's a game set in a specific world and we thought it was worth mentioning. So, uh, there is an artist. His name is one that I can't pronounce very well. He's Simon Stallenhag. And he created a bunch of artworks called Tales from the Loop. Okay. And what he did is he imagined uh, a world of a part of Sweden where they'd created a... Um, it's unusual for the show, we're getting straight into it. Uh, <laughs> where they'd created a particle accelerator, like an LH, LHC thing, and something had gone peculiar. Right. Ooh. And the result meant that this small town was full of strange and weird things. Um, not only did it have robots because of the technology that had been discovered, but also dinosaurs got loose. And also all sorts of other weird things. And you've probably seen the artwork online. I'll pass the book around. It's a very beautiful thing. Um, and the, the premise of the world is this. It's the normal world. It's the real world. And the real world is a little bit boring. Mm. Except in these two areas. There's two settings. There's one in Sweden, which is where Stalinberg originally got his inspiration. And also in the US, because this is an English language book. And they want to sell it to Americans. And both these places, they had these um, super science experiments. Uh, technology was bumped a little bit for- forward. It's the 80s. Um, and essentially, these bits of technology are just lying around. So you'll see pictures, you'll have seen them on the internet of Steven, Steven Stalberg's work, of kids playing cricket or 
ball mm-hmm. in at field, and there's just this giant mecha robot slightly rusting in the field, not doing anything. And it's like it's almost like one of those things of like, here's mum, here's dad, here are the kids. The kids are playing swing ball, and yeah, also there's a giant robot or a dead dinosaur, and it's like the the weird and unusual made mundane. This is essentially the game itself is essentially Stranger Things, the role playing game. Okay. So you play kids. You can't play anyone over the age of sixteen. Your characters are <coughs> children. Okay. Most gamers and most list people listening to the show will be in their thirties and forties, and you might be like, "Well, that's a bit weird." But it's like, no, this is a game specifically inspired by John Hughes and by um, Stephen King, Stephen King. Yeah. Uh, so the characters you can play are the freak, the weirdo, the jock, and so on. You you create a specific character. Um, Unlike, say, Dungeons and Dragons, you can't die. Okay. Obviously, you can't die. It's not that sort of show. It's not that sort of story. Um, you can be. You can, however, have trauma happen to you. Stuff, complications. Okay. Can so you can. Have, oh, it's always worse, surely. You can spend that summer where you're in a wheelchair because you've fallen off that thing. Yeah, you can't ride your bike anymore. You can't ride your bike anymore. You can have that thing where because. The, the other kid said something mean to you uh, you're at a penalty to do stuff because you're still really sore about it and you're still really angry but you can pluck up your courage and you can power through it as well um, the game operates narratively it has a narrative engine by which I mean the narrative engine is uh, a set of rules created to generate story Okay. so uh, one of the one of the rules is, is that day-to-day life is boring. The real world is boring. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything is mundane. Weird things do happen, and they happen to the, the, the kids. Adults are rubbish. If you go, <laughs> up, if you go up to a grown-up yeah. and say, there's dinosaurs loose, then the adults might pay attention to you, they probably won't. Mm. Grown-ups are dumb. You know, they are genuinely... You know, this is not a game of make... You know, it's a game of make-believe, but this is... that You're not playing a game where you're playing a game of make-believe. The the protagonists are running around going, there's a herd of velociraptors, and there's a bad man who's hunting them. If you turn around to the police officer, the policeman, the policeman might help you in Act 1, yeah. but that means that in Act 3, he's going to get murdered. By the Velociraptors, because he doesn't believe in the Velociraptors, he's just arrested the hunter for carrying an unlicensed firearm, oh. uh, and so on. And it's it's built up in that specific way that you can do, essentially the Goonies, mm. or the Breakfast Club. Um, but you can take it as dark as you want. So you can't do Stranger Things. Mm. Yeah. As a, as a, as a storytelling narrative. The cover has a kind of almost um, Stand By Me-esque setup where you've got like four kids with their backs to you clearly about to walk into adventure. And it pulls no punches of character creation as well. So you can have uh, absentee parents. You can have, you know, it's that general rule that adults are a bit rubbish. Mm-hmm. So you can play the kid whose father is abusive. That's a complication that your character has that you will have to deal with as part of the narrative. You can have situations where, because you have been teased and bullied, you can't operate as well. But yeah. that said, 
you can also have the thing where because you've had a scene earlier where you were told that you can't run and then you have to run because otherwise that person's going to get gotten by the rogue robot or the mad scientist or the ribbity time portal that's opened you run down the corridor mm. and the thing I actually love and it's really weird to say this but it's all framed in that kind of orangey brown and that tealish mm. colour that you only ever really found find in the 80s it's the schools were painted the walls were painted in that kind of that brown corridor feel all of the artwork it's all painted and it's all beautiful but it's got that slight tinge to it that sound says that that speaks of a, a lost time of a a lost childhood of a bygone time well it's not just it's not just 80s because i can remember as a kid in the 80s remembering you know the the thunderbirds and joe 90 annuals that my um parents or you know uncles would have had and yeah that sort of okay this is an illustration of you know a, a, a radio which turns into a gun or whatever and you've got that's uh, and or these are sort of slightly photorealistic images you've got of things going on but yeah it's so it's not just 80s but it's it is still you know that time ago it's almost like a cargo cult false memory feel to the entire thing which is the point of the original steve Salenberg because there's a there's a book called um tales from the loop which is just the artwork right okay um I'm yeah just, i like the artwork I mean, there's, yeah there's always there's something in the background there's you know a guy stood by next to his car with a cannon on top and you weren't really expecting the cannon to be there but it's part of the thing it's not like that's the focal point of the image and this is it it's yeah. not meant to be it's not meant to be any the unusual and weird is not meant to be any surprise yeah and that means that in the, the setting of the game the kids are like no seriously there's dinosaurs no, seriously, there's a you know a rogue robot that's gonna that's kidnapping children. Right. So, no. so I'm gonna say, is it sort of Calvin and Hobbes esque? You know, this is a thing no. that's yeah. These are no, no. It's it's not. This is the thing that's happening in his imagination, and the parents don't believe him. It's but the parents still think it's happening. Think it, they've got a Calvin sort of thing. Um, or is or dinosaurs are clearly there, but the parents are just stupid. The parents are just stupid. Right. Grown ups. Well, they aren't. Um, grown-ups do not engage with the weird right and once you get past the age of 16 you just you, you set the kind of collective memory where they just they're not part of the story mm. so you could be really boring and run another story where there's a bunch of adults and there's an entire rational explanation as to why the dinosaurs are running around and all the rest of it but it's the these stories of the kids find out what's going on the kids mm. are curious the kids care the kids look into things the kids are the adventurers yeah um it's like turning around it's et and it's all it's like yes it's like et it's like the goonies essentially in the sense that technically speaking when that pirate ship is unleashed from the goonies there should be an absolute pile of people involved on that who should be sorting that out there's a whole set of mechanisms they'd be completely aware that it'd be a pirate ship there should you know a whole absolute pile of stuff is going on there but that's not the story Mm. and that's boring um, and the real world, the one, the real world is boring. Okay. Yep. Um, so the the kids find them. Oh, it's 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 crushingly mundane. Mm. And it's only when the call to adventure occurs and they find themselves on their BMXs bombing down. Yep. To do things. So a classic Tales from the Loop story can open with the players playing, kids playing D and D. 
<laughs> if you want to know. Recursion! <laughs> and those D&D characters then create characters. Yeah. Uh, and... Oh, God. <laughs> I walk into a pub. I, <laughs> I whittle some dice and make some pentals. And I seat myself at a table in the corner. So... Got a bit inception. Oh, did you read the thing about um, Whittling Dice where dice are restricted in prisons, but there's a whole thing about D&D in prisons? I've not read the thing, but I've heard of the thing. It's a, it's, it's an entirely different show, and probably not this show, in fact. But yes, yeah, fascinating stuff. So yes, so that's I, I, that's Tales from the Loop from uh, Modifus. Um, they it's published in the UK from Modifus. I believe it's the Free League who originally created it. There are uh, there's a huge list of Kickstarter back in the It was originally a Kickstarter. Yeah. Same with there's a game that Modifus do called Symbarum, which is. Which is also gorgeous and is also lovely, mm. but also oh, I really would be pushing it if I was to review that as well. But Symbolum mm. is a Swedish game where it's basically D and D, it's basically fantasy, <laughs> except it's Swedish and therefore much darker. Yeah. Um, and there's a whole thing where essentially magic just corrupts and darkens things, and mm. the gods have sort of sodded off and gone and done their own things. And it looks gorgeous. And we basically I've been playing that for a while, and we've been calling it Spooky Forest. Because none of us can see a symbol room. And the spooky forest is just, you know, it's about a spooky forest and their spooky forest adventure. So, yeah, so why why do you think there's a massive. Because essentially, the reason I brought up the show with that book is that we had a little while ago a whole bunch of stuff about 80s nostalgia. We reviewed um. a little while ago. Um, a book which was all about you know someone's experience of trying to find the evil evil dead video dead leaves um dead leaves is a book we reviewed ages ago which is a um indie book you can find it online find out all sorts of things about it are you giving it a sniff producer al yeah why not yes is it very sniffy it's, yeah. it's all right yeah. but yes the thing does, does it pass the test But the thing with Dead Leaves is, it was again, essentially, it almost felt like someone's memoir. Um, and I've noticed this, is there a thing specifically about the 80s, or is it just that when writers get to a certain age, uh, or when we get to a certain age, there is now a market for our childhood? There's, I mean, there's something about the age group, uh, where, where, I'm okay, the generations get named certain things, so I've heard of Generation X, Generation Y, Generation Z, and so on, and I'm in that I think I think you're a little bit before this point I think you're a little after this point I'm, I'm a Xennial I believe are you a Xennial? I'm born in the in when the did specific, you come to our planet? I, no no I'm born in the specific <laughs> point in the specific series of years between the first Star Wars coming out and the third Star Wars coming out where my adulthood I can remember the internet but my childhood I didn't you're Generation X all three of you I'm Generation okay. Y, otherwise known as a millennial. Right. Which sucks because people don't tend to look on millennials very well. You and your avocado toast. I know. Sounds delicious. But shockingly, it's what we're going to be having at Manchester Airport for breakfast on Tuesday. <laughs> okay, I got told I was special as because anyway, within six years. Maybe I'm just trying to make myself special. No, no, I think okay. you're, you're, you, I'm you on guys the cusp, are Generation I'm on X, cusp, but you can... I'm on the cusp between X and Millennial, I think is the general I principle. I don't care. I'm no. <laughs> it's yes. helpful, because part, part of my job involves marketing, and it's helpful knowing the differences from marketing, because especially 
the thing that is very interesting is we're about to reach the point where Generation Z are going to be consumers soon. And Generation Z use the internet in a very different way to us because they've always had it. Yeah. When are Generation Z? Gen- Generation Z are people born 2000 onwards. Yeah. So these people are like 17. They're going to be adults soon. And they don't yeah, use the internet because the internet in the way that we do because the internet's always been part of their so life. Yes, yeah, so, so they've they've never known a time when Google wasn't yeah. a thing, and, and in a couple of years' time, there'll be a group of people who've never known a time when smartphones weren't mm-hmm. a thing. They're different consumers to us as well. So, you, like I said, at the moment, I fit in the the millennial bracket. Um, people have stopped marketing to Generation Y because we don't, and some to an extent can't buy things. Only people um, from about 35 onwards make big purchases. People my age who own expensive things, not uh, not across the board, but in general, it has been bought for them. Can I, can I get this right? Mm-hmm. So, Generation X, Star Wars, was, Star Wars A New Hope was a new movie. Generation Y, there have been no new Star Wars movies... Generation it Z. depends on what, yeah. Well, yeah, but Star Wars, the first Star Wars movie came out in 77. I was one. Yes. Because the. A new movie. Empire. Um, Jedi was 81, wasn't it? 83. 83. 83. Return of the Jedi was 83. Okay, I'm thinking. So does that mean that Empire was 81? Yes. I was going to say one of them was 81. Okay, 80 originally. I think 81 maybe when it came to the UK. I don't know if that makes the difference. Um. But it is really interesting, and I wonder if part of me, like this idea of fiction and basically stories where we're taken to another world, do you have this 80s nostalgia? Part, to an extent, I wonder if that's because at the moment we are surrounded by younger people living in the 90s, and the 90s wasn't great. But all of us remember the 80s being amazing because either it's like me and I was very, very tiny or for some people they were of an age where it's like they remember being part of the 80s and they... And I, cause I know we all say like our oh, kids' TV isn't as good as it used to be but I actually think stories were different in the 80s to to what they became later. And there's a chance that nostalgia is coming from that. We're surrounded by the things from the bit after, after our childhood, that actually weren't as good as the bits we remember. So why wouldn't we start to, um, I can't think of the word, but like look up to things that we It's also the thing, isn't it, that the things from just before we really truly tap into remember stuff are always eulogised as being better. So, you know, the, the summers were always better and hotter and longer when I was a kid. Because um, you had less experience to draw on. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And but I also, I was born in 76, which was the horrendous heat wave. Then um, the drought that went on forever. But from a books and storytelling point of view, one of the things that changed children's entertainment and storytelling and the media that we consume is sort of stalls in the sense that there was. So we had G.I. Joe and we had uh, A.K.A. Action Man. Um, we had like those. Um, and that, that his story was was very simple. He's a soldier. He goes and does stuff. <laughs> then Star Wars came along, and Star Wars is like, here are some toys. Here are some toys with a story. Yeah. Here are the books. Here are the comics. Here are the games. Here are the movies. You can't, you know, someone on your street has a video recorder. 
by the end of the decade everyone will have one but someone in the street has a video recorder therefore you're not going to get to see the movie again but here are the comics and the books uh, and you end up having this play and this examination of Star Wars and then suddenly the toy makers and the, the people get into the storytelling game because um, Hasbro suddenly look at their G.I. Joe and they go they're not selling because kids, it's not enough for kids to play as soldiers they want a tale behind it mm-hmm. and they want just enough story prompts to, to invent it, stories so suddenly well, Transformers I mean, ha- is happens. that a little bit because you know, time just passes up and uh, Transformers happens or other things happen um, we just you know we, we just keep going I was going to say is that not also a little bit because well you know a couple of decades ago you would have had a grandfather or a father who had fought in you know various conflicts because of world wars and so on, and now we don't okay we've still got world wars happening but so uh, yeah but it's not it's not the it's, it's not, not here. The epic yeah it didn't it's it not here yeah so if it involves people from here it's because they've signed up to be a yeah. member of the yeah. army yeah so my yeah. Gran- so so my... wholesale conscription yeah, yeah. so yeah. my grand national service in the 50s Really. It wasn't my granddad fought in World War Two. Therefore, yeah. during the eighties, I had a granddad who fought in World War Two. My granddad's no longer with me, but that was my child. Yeah. It's not so, just that. It's that story of like, oh, I won't buy little bitty guns because guns are violent. And little Betty's picked up a stick and is hmm. currently currently shooting monsters. Um, but the 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 con- right, So the consequence of things like He Man and this sort of thing to to sell toys to kids hmm. is a lot of those stories were rubbish because people didn't have a clue what they were doing. Um, and then suddenly they all stopped because there was a huge recession, especially in the States. So there's a bunch of toys called the Inhumanoids, uh, mm. which are... Um, the Inhumanoid toys are weird and very articulated, and they're all environmental scientists. Action-adventure environmental scientists, kids! Because that's how weird the 80s got. And they've got like aquatic... You know, they've got aquatic gear and... Uh, volcano diving gear and this sort of thing and they look really strange and then you see what they're fighting and they're fighting a huge tree monster dolls and um, squid monster dolls essentially literally one that looks like Cthulhu mm-hmm. and, there's this, and they represent like bits, good bits of the environment and bad bits of the environment and it's crazy and then the, and Visionaries was another one which was huge dolls with holograms that had technology powers and used magic to make technology work and this sort of thing and all of those vanished very quickly because of the recession but they were an example of storytelling getting to a point where they were building arcs because mm. you'd have you'd have wave one of the toy and then you'd have to justify introducing more toys so what you do is you build a story and you foreshadow so visionary, oh, yeah. mm. so visionaries did a thing where you pick up the visionaries comics which were a thing that Marvel did and there's a whole bunch of toy ideas that were never made in the pages of the comic books because it's like stop put the, those in there now so Just we can sell them in two years time mm. and the idea of commercial arc building stayed and yeah. then well, so a lot of that's also important because I mean Transformers start off as four different Japanese ranges of toys that's that's a different that's not the point I was making sorry okay but that, that's actually the, that's, that's interest, also where our common things comes into there's an but interesting story there because yeah. Hasbro had a whole bunch of random toys mm. that they had the rights to and they were like we need to tell a story and apparently I don't know how true it is but the, the legend was originally the planes were going to be the good guys and then someone in a meeting somewhere allegedly the various people claimed it was them stood up and went no more parents 
right. will have driven trucks than they will have flown planes. Mm. <laughs> so therefore, the trucks have to be the good guys because Dad or Mum drives a truck. Right. So Optimus Prime yeah. is a good guy because he's Dad. Mm. And that's why he's meant to be Dad. Ironhide is a reliable guy because he's a camper van. Yes. Oh God. It's all okay. stuff. I'm Luke, I'm five. My dad's Bruce Lee. He drives me around in his JCB. <laughs> that's a brilliant song. Exactly. Yeah. Like, like, mm. that, that's, but then, from there, now we have stuff like, um, Steven Universe, mm. which is, you know, it, it's built up from that. A total flip side, however, mm. how to do it wrong. So Bandai looked at, also had rights to some of these transforming toys. Which mm. were, essentially, they were puzzle toys in Japan. They were very popular yeah. in Japan. Bandai had the rights and they looked at the the UK and American markets and they thought, we're not sure about this narrative thing. It seems to be a good way to market toys to kids. But we don't know. We don't know what we're doing. Let's try the UK market first to see what you know where we're going to go. And they didn't spend that much money on it and they went because they already made some money, but it was thought they'll try the UK market. So they got in touch with the same people responsible for 2000 AD. Okay. Right. And Eagle Comic. I remember reading this as a kid. And they were not given much of a brief. They okay. came up with some names for the toys. One of the names of the toys was a uh, motorbike Holly Davidson that transformed. And someone came up with the name of Psykill. <laughs> so he was clearly a bad guy because he was Psykill. Yeah. So then they gave them to the same people, the same artists and writers and creators who'd created, previously created comics like Snapjaw and uh, Shaco, the killer polar bear. Mm. 70s and 80s comics were about the shock value because what you would do is you would sell a version of Jaws, a uh, Hookjaw, not Snapjaw, Hookjaw, which was Jaws. You would sell a version of Jaws in comic strip format. The Daily Mail would be like, ban this sick filth! Children would buy it everywhere. <laughs> it would sell out. They would pester their parents parents would buy it to be outraged letters would be written to the time an IPC would like you know float on the stock exchange that was the gig laugh all the way to the bank laugh mm-hmm. all the way to the bank so then Bandai go we've got these transforming toys some of them have scary names that we, our concept is alien invaders and and obviously I, uh, I believe they were Fleetway at the time I might be wrong went brilliant yeah we can do something with that killer robots invade earth um, and Gobots, these are Gobots. Gobots are stupid toys. Uh, legend of the Gobots. But they started off as kind of those tra- Bandai Transformers. So in the US, the Americans are like, yeah, Gobots were really goofy in children's toys. And they had like a goofy cartoon of Leader One. And in the UK, we're like, no, Leader One gets beaten to death. <laughs> On, on, on outside Liverpool. Hang on, there's an entire scene where Cycle just burns Bournemouth with flamethrowers. And like, you know, I, I sat in a room with this conversation and like, you're talking about different things. <laughs> but I think the, the UK and kids. European TV, kids TV, is quite different to American kids TV. Like, I know I go on about it all the time, but it's because it was amazing. But Animals of Farthing Wood would not have gone down well with American kids. It, and I don't think the parents would have been particularly happy about it either. Like, essentially, it's death, death, more death. Didn't and they do a thing recently where they showed Americans 
like British t- kids TV from there's the years. There's a YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, the the, the company's FBE, but I can't mo- I can't remember what it stands for. Um, but yeah, they do basically something reacts to something. So they've got kids react, teens react, college kids react, YouTubers react, celebs react, and elders react. Mm. And people comment, and they're like, get them to react to this. And I'm pretty sure they did teens react to animals of farthing wood. I've seen that. I was thinking of you at the time when I saw it. <laughs> but it is that because they, they, they start and they joke and they go, oh, well, he's doomed. And then, you know, a fox yeah. has ran over. And they're like, what? And like the way, the, especially the way that some of the deaths occurred is, was mental. Um, I think, but I do think animals of farthing wood was a TV show based on a book and it was made for the art of telling that story. It was a blend of English, French and German production companies, which is why in the first series what they cross a big road and the cars are travelling on the right-hand side. But then in the second series when they cross a road, the cars, the cars are travelling on the left. It's literally because they didn't think about the fact that the French production company made what that the, the first episode in the first series and an English production company made the episode where they cross a road in the second series. Um, it's like loads of just little things like that. Clearly, they cross a border. Yeah, they mm. they, they swam a big sea and just didn't show anyone. Like, there's a whole channel in the way. Um, big is falling wood. There's a whole channel in the way. It's BBC One. It's it's the classic. And Farthing Wood gets destroyed at the beginning of the first episode. That's how it starts. Um, bulldozers come and tear the for- tear the park down. So the animals of Farthing Woods decide that rather than sit and essentially die there they'll take their chances and try and find the, the I, this legendary white deer park that I toad has been to i have a to. to me about the animals of falling wood yeah and it's more it's inspiration than the, the than the animals of falling wood itself mm-hmm. watch it down yeah i love that book yeah i therefore slightly resent the cartoon it's because there's very a, different, isn't it? There's a entire we've had this conversation before. Like just us, I don't think we've ever had it on air, but But there's entire there's entire bits of the book that are amazing and are brilliant and if you've not right, okay, if you've not read Watership Down, I think I've said this before, put it out on your read list, just do it. Don't it's not a children's book, it's a brilliantly written novel, mm-hmm. it's fantastically done, you should just you should you, you just should. It's not as damaging as the film either. It's a different sort of it is, magic, and it it's pretty dark, but it's more. I mean, essentially, the car the cartoon goes for the punches. Yeah, quite early on, and for for some bizarre reason, the key scene in the book, which is where Fiverr has a vision, mm. and it's an incredibly important vision, and it's beautifully written, is a music video. <laughs> And it's, you're just like, why? Why is this a music video? Why is he cavarting around? He's talking to God, and you suddenly have understood why this bunny is so special. Mm. Uh, it's not a spoiler for the book. Why this bunny is so special is because he's slightly more intelligent than the other rabbits. There's a, an amazing scene um, where two of the bunnies know exactly what to do. There's a bunny around here somewhere, but anyway, there's mm. there's two of the bunnies know exactly what to do and the rest of the bunnies are like did you just do magic Hmm. was that magic because we have no idea why you did that sequence of things but suddenly we're we're safe again Hmm. and we don't understand so you must be wizards 
I'm 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 kind of yeah. I, I'm simplifying. Yeah. And I'm trying to avoid spoilers, but it's just one of those bits. And I read that when I was like eighteen. Uh, I was just like that. Just totally blew my mind because I was just like that. Not only is it brilliant writing, but it's that idea of it's not magic. There's no magic in the book. Yeah. But it's that that interpretation. But I do think that is because I think to an extent that still comes into what I said about animals of farthing wood in that. I actually think the mid-90s are where kids' TV was no longer being made to tell children a story. And I do, yeah, it possibly came in a little bit earlier than that. But if you think when we, when I, when I was little and when you guys were little, very few of the TV shows we watched became merchandised. Whereas now, mm. kids' TV was either a conduit to sell toys or t- toys were a conduit to sell TV. Um, and it's almost from from the mid nineties onwards. Like there were no toys. My favorite programs when I was little, I loved Dreamstone, I loved Nightmare, Gummy Bears, Mike and Angelo. Um, like I remember Turtles had toys, but I don't remember Turtles having toys when I was really little. Fireman Sam, I had a lunchbox. Like that was I didn't have Fireman's I had and books. I didn't have Fireman Sam toys. Mm. But in the mid nineties, it seems like all of a sudden. There, there was more of a, a thing for that. I'm pretty sure there was a Stretch Armstrong TV mm. show at one uh, point. I don't remember it lasting long. Mm. I remember there being cartoons. There was a TV show called Sky Riders, which was based on the premise of these toys you had that um, had a little dolly in the top and they were on a disc and you'd pull a string fast and it would release the dolly, which would become a glider. Um, and they were like little fairies. And they flew into fireplaces yeah. and exploded houses. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> but like, so that was Skyriders. Um, Polly Pocket had a TV show. Was it Mighty Max? Was the boy version of Mighty Polly Max Pocket? Was a... That had a TV show. Like, but, and then and then you get into Max the realms of the late nineties where Pokemon starts. Um, and it's so very the... different. People, kids' TV show is now made to sell stuff even things like in the night garden um and weird t- kids tv now mm. it's all merchandise i was going to say teenage mutant turtles was a late 80s but didn't that also depended on whether you had sky tv which mm. was also which, which a lot of people didn't yeah, no so well yeah this is my thing it, it's a grand <laughs> sorry ed wants to speak so the it all started in the 80s yes so what happened was there were a set of american rules that said that you couldn't advertise uh, two children in a certain way mm. and then the American right wing got in because it was the Reagan era, the, the Reagan yeah. era mm. and they, one of the first the era. Oh, one of the first things that fell away was this regulation because yeah. Republicans say they were about freedom but they're actually about taking as much money off you as possible but anyway um, but we don't make you pay tax we just make you pay every other way and well, plenty of people take, pay tax just not them um, anyway so what happens is uh, early 80s mid 80s He-Man comes out He-Man is a toy advert Funimation mm-hmm. the toys come out mm. first Funimation or is why the animation is so cheap is to sell toys and then there's a whole run then the money collapses there's a recession so no one's in the toy peddling game but the idea is already in there and people mm. who were junior executives in the 80s and now senior executives in the 90s and when the money comes back they're all about the money, so that's why there's a sudden rush. So the the rot, you know, the rot I think the rot's perhaps a bit too much hyperbole, but the the I the seed of it was already there. Hmm. Turtles is an interesting one. 
because uh, what happened to the turtles obviously is Isman and Laird were, were, were taking the piss hmm. um, the origin stories of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is a piss take of Daredevil right yeah okay. um, so the origins of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is uh, it's a car accident there's some radioactive waste it hits the turtles and this old man called Splinter trains them in ninjutsu as opposed to the origin story of Daredevil which is a young boy pushes an old man uh, out of the way of a truck chemicals fall out the back of the truck splash into his eyes blinds him but gives him superpowers and then an old man called Stick <laughs> trains him in martial arts I've seen that connection before okay it's it's I, I have talked mm. to, to to Mr Eastman <laughs> and, and asked, I asked him directly and he went yes yes it was and it was a pop at the time of there was a growing trend to make things very dark mm. and very kind of grim and gritty. And at their kitchen table, their, their mother's kitchen table, wasn't even their own kitchen table, they drew these cartoon characters and they were laughing at each other. And they, they printed them out for tuppence halfpenny, or mm. I don't know they have pennies in America, but tuppence halfpenny. Uh, I don't think they have halfpennies. Um, and Mirage was formed and they kind of just and it just hit the right zeitgeist at the right time at the right comic convention sold out comics distributors wanted more so it sold out so the first issue much like Starburst magazine writes first issue sold ridiculous thousands and thousands of copies first issues the turtles just came out came out came out came out and came out and the early comics were a bit rubbish and very dark and they're parodies of to an extent of the existing thing and then slowly but surely over time um, marketing people got involved toy manufacturers got involved and at this point uh, Eastman and Laird both taking their foot off the gas because they were too busy making money um, and they were just happy to let this mm. but I can remember it being this weird very early for me some dissonance because there used to be a comic shop in Newcastle called Time Slip it's now called Forbidden Planet because mm. it was bought by the Forbidden Planet yeah. company mm. Um, time slip sold an ash can of the turtles to me for my pocket money I remember taking it to school and going look at this, this guy's got ninja knives and he, he's a turtle and he does this and he, look and, and like is that a comic I said, yeah it's not like GoBots where it's a, one you can buy in the shops you have to go to Newcastle look, it's cool and then a year later everyone's like got the t-shirt and the bag yeah. and I'm not saying I was a hipster but um, but yeah I was like yay and before you asked no that comic wasn't worth anything because it was a copy of a copy of a copy yeah um, I work with a lot of people in their we've got a couple of late teens most of them in their early 20s and it was really interesting a bit ago when I was explaining to them that when I was little they were called Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles because you couldn't use the word ninja in the UK mm. and they couldn't show nunchucks on TV. Um, and so that those bits of our versions of like the cartoons were edited out and stuff. And they were just like, what do you mean you couldn't say ninja? I was like, you, you couldn't mm. say ninja. Because <laughs> we understood that you know, sharp things are sharp. You can show a sword on TV, whereas two sticks together, we're not familiar enough with it <laughs> to understand that's a really deadly weapon. It wasn't that. And actually, um, we were talking about RJ. Was it RJ? We were talking about Andrew David Barker's uh, The Evil Dead 
normal dead leaves just yeah. at the top of the show. Um, it's the same sort of thing. It's because of video nasties. So there was a massive public out- moral outrage, mm. and moral outrages are normally, you know, neither moral or outrageous, they're just a nonsense. But there was moral outrage about video nasties and the idea that there'd be these ninja movies. And ninja movies had, like, you know, people's heads flying off, and people really died when they were filming. A total nonsense. Mm. But the kind of, you know, this, this weird idea had gotten into the public um, consciousness that video nasties were ninja something and it had a ninja mm. who, who hurt people and there were bad movies and only bad people watched them and it turned them into lunatics and you shouldn't watch ninja movies so you can't have a toy range with ninja in the title mm. because you know that was that was crazy for crazy people it was like, I remember watching very long time ago the Hatley guy from the well, I remember watching Wogan the chat show mm. in the 80s and they had a guy from the censors board and it was like, here's a, 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 a bouncy ball that a child has put nails into because he watched a ninja movie. And I'm sitting there, I can remember thinking there was a kid going, no, he probably put nails into that bouncy ball because he had some nails. Mm. <laughs> and he had a bouncy ball. He wasn't trying to make a flail. Mm. He was probably just, you know, being a boy. Mm. Mm. He might have been a lunatic, but mm. probably not from watching Ninja Terminator, which is a terrible movie. And has an entire subplot with a killer robot, which is literally one of those, you know, those robot toys that you wind up mm. with the flashing lights. That's the killer robot. Amazing. It wobbles a bit <laughs> and then falls over, but they all go <gasps> a lot, which is great radio. They all they all step to one side and look surprised. <laughs> but um, I've been having a number of thoughts as to why the eighties might be still a nostalgic. First of all because of lots of manufacturing stuff we actually have a lot of manufactured bits that make therefore <laughs> making stuff about the 80s is cheap or relatively inexpensive second is it in a, is it now a sort of period drama is it now a sort of new age you can have a period drama in mm. um thirdly we didn't have mobile phones as much then and it's re- and stories are a lot easier to tell when you can't immediately contact someone where, where, where you've got that tension of i can't immediately yeah. talk to you in order to tell you the thing that you need to know no, whereas here it's just brain, brain, I you know can't answer it. Where you know it's, it adds a proper complication. And the other thing I'm thinking is Back to the Future because you know because that's that's triggered the you know let's have a look at cultural things over various periods of time. We've got that thing in the eighties. We were looking forward to 2015. We were sort of disappointed when a car didn't show up in a fictional place. And but we're thinking back to okay, well there isn't a, there isn't an equivalent of that thinking. Okay, what's what's 2045 going to be like? Mm. Let's show that part of the the ongoing part of the nostalgia there. I suppose as well, one of the other parts of it is, I suppose, a lot of RPGs are in their late 20s to mid-40s. But, I mean, so they'll, if you're asking them to be a maximum of 16, it's easy to remember being a kid in the 80s if you were a kid in the 80s. And not just tabletop war players, but also people writing stories. I mean, I'm just looking. Mm-hmm. We talked about this briefly, and we'll review it eventually. My best friend's Ex- exorcism by Greedy Hendrix, which we looked at, which is the one with the VHS cover. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. A heartwarming story of friendship and demonic possession. The year is 1988. <laughs> um, that was the one that we looked at it, and we were just saying it's a it's a, a video tape box as a book, and it's Stranger Things. 
Yeah, and it's the same, you know, it's the same Pitwax from Hell, um, also Quirk Books, which is Grady Hendrix, same person. And it's again getting that, that nostalgia dollar. Is it, can, is it a nostalgia dollar? If it's an 80s dollar, is it really an 80s 78 cents? I don't know how inflation works. Um, we went that I'm way, and now sure. it goes that way. <laughs> that was great radio as well. I'm pretty sure a dollar in the 80s would have been like yeah I'm sure seven, it would be less than 78 cents if you invested a dollar na- in the 80s now then I don't know I don't understand it doesn't make any sense to me which is why I'm a humble book review um, right shall we go and talk to an author shall okay. we talk to an author Colin Sinclair welcome to Brave New Words and um, tell us about your new book uh, basically <clears throat> it's a Actual physical um, print copy of uh, a book that I wrote, um, an ebook that I wrote a couple of years ago for Abaddon called Midnight in the Garden Center of Good and Evil. And it's being gathered together with two other um, stories involving sort of aliens and alien invasions uh, into a, a book called um, Invaders from Beyond First Wave. I think they call it First Wave in some of the ads, but in other things they don't call it that. But Invaders from Beyond is what it's called. And it has a really nice cover, and it's uh, you know it'll be on the shelves at the end of the month. So you got into this through a submission window with Abaddon, is that right? I did, yes. Um, basically, how this came about was um, <clears throat> the TV show Spaced. Um, the people from the TV show Spaced they've made um, two movies, uh, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. And having seen those movies, I thought, wouldn't it be really good if they did one which was about aliens? So I thought, I know, I'll write a movie about uh, an alien invasion and call it Midnight in the Garden Centre of Good and Evil and be about those sorts of characters, you know, the sort of um, 20s, mid-20s sort of um, role-play or, you know, computer gamers, wasters, that kind of thing. And then, you know, they'd encounter aliens in their garden centre. And as I was in the midst of uh, working on a script for that, um, Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright announced that they were bringing out another movie and it was going to be about aliens. So I decided to put that one on the back burner as they were already sort of taking care of it. Um, And I just sort of left it lying for a good few years. And then this um, Abaddon thing came up, Open Door, you know, pitched them an idea, pitched them an idea either for a an e-novel in one of their existing worlds or pitch them a new world and I thought it would be a good idea to have um, invasions, just invasions generally because you could have aliens, you could have demons, you could have you know, vikings fighting monsters whatever, so I thought I'd drag out my um, Midnight in the Garden Centre of Good and Evil concept and send that along and amazingly they went yeah, that's a good one, write that and that was how it came about basically, although they uh, narrowed it down from invasions generally to alien invasions and they called it Invaders from Beyond, the sort of overarching um, sort of world or theme. Um, yeah, so that's how that worked. How would you pitch the book, sorry, the story to an elderly relative? <laughs> that's a good question. Um, it's about the um, strange things you encounter working at a garden centre is one of the ways I would pitch it. Uh, basically it's about people who have no business um, fighting against an alien invasion and what they do when there's an alien invasion 
So what's next? Uh, do you have more alien invasion stories planned? Um, I have a few ideas, but uh, I had one which was kind of similar aliens, but a completely different um, sort of location. Uh, but really, part of my problem is I have too many ideas, and I just sort of keep working through them to see which one kind of um, grips my attention at the time, and sort of focus my effort on that. But so I have a few things that I'm working on. Um, there's another uh, open door pitch coming up from uh, Angry Robot Books, so I'm pitching something to them as well. Uh, on a whole different, you know, a whole different thing. No aliens involved this time. Well, different aliens. How would you describe your writing process? Um, as I say, I have lots of ideas, so I write down the ideas, and some of the ideas sort of hang around for like ten years, and then eventually I link them together with another idea, and then I, you know, I'll see something on the news, or I'll hear something, and I'll think, oh, that's quite interesting, or someone will come up with, um, you know, a question or a concept, and I'll add it together with you know other ideas and it'll form a sort of a a notion for a story and then I'll think of some characters a lot of time I come up with the characters first um, and then I just kind of as I've said before you know just stare at a blank piece of paper for hours on end until something comes to me um, Is there any particular um, sandbox or someone else's world that you'd like to write for? Um <clears throat> Yeah, I'd, I'd really like to write for, um, well, Judge Dredd, and also uh, the sort of Stargate background. Always, the Stargate background's always appealed to me. Just the kind of um, having the uh, massively superior alien technology and going out into a wider universe and seeing what's out there. That's always appealed, and the fact that they have, um, you know, superior alien technology, which is represented as uh, gods to sort of lower races. That's always been interesting as well. I quite like that. Is it harder to do comedy than it is to do other parts, other types of genre? Um, I'm not sure. I I sometimes think it's easier to do comedy, but possibly, you know, I think it's very funny and it's not as funny as I think it is. Um, there is a tendency these days in a lot of things for, you know, every character to be, to be incredibly glib about everything. So it's quite difficult to maybe get the serious side of things across. Um, I mean, it's very easy to be very dramatic and depressing in things. Uh, so I suppose in that sense, serious is easier than comedy. Because I suppose you never know what people are going to find funny. But there's things that depress pretty much everybody. Is the world of genre fiction as welcoming and as inclusive as we think it is? Um, well, it's hard to say because obviously I'm from a particular demographic, the you know Middle East white dude demographic. So probably things would appear to be much easier for me in certain ways. So I think it was um, was it John Scalzi who said it was like uh, easy mode. <laughs> uh, so in some cases, I. I hope it's improving. I, I know in some cases it's not as welcoming as it should be. And plus you get all that sort of factional fighting about very trivial things. Um, and the, sort of the keepers of the knowledge idea where people who've been in the particular genre fandom for a while think they're more important or better than people who are just coming to something new. But really you should be thinking, great, someone else likes a thing that I like. Why is it getting so popular? Why are so many people getting into genre now? Um, 
I think um, possibly the sort of rise of social media has helped in that um, it's a lot easier for authors who have something to say to actually just get out and engage with the people that, that they're going to read their stuff or who'd be interested in their stuff. I mean, a lot of, in the olden days, it would be you'd you'd write a book and maybe, or maybe you'd write some short stories for a, like a small press magazine or a publisher and you know 20 people would read it <clears throat> and there'd be no real sort of gathering place for people to talk about it beyond science fiction conventions whereas now you can have you know start a facebook page or a twitter feed and have people who hear about it sit, tell their friends about it and everyone can just sort of gather around and hear more about stuff that they would be interested in and of course podcasts as well that all helps if you could rescue one piece of art um, so it would stand the test of time so anything, it can be a movie, it can be a song it can be a book, it can be a comic strip it can be anything you can think of but one piece of human created art that you could rescue and it would uh, withstand the end of the sun what would it be? Um, I'll have to give that some thought That's a terrible question. It is a terrible question. Uh, uh, horribly, horribly cruel. Just, just the one, basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, uh, I suppose the disc that they put on the Voyager spacecraft, because it, um, it has you know pictures of humanity and where we live, and it has our music and all that sort of stuff. So that's quite, like an artifact as well as a piece of art. Or is that a cheat? Is that uh, a cheat answer? I think that's a good answer, actually. I haven't yeah. had anything like that. Uh, if you could go back in time and give your 16-year-old version of yourself one bit of advice, what would it be? Uh, write more. Just keep writing constantly. Just write all the time. Um, because there were periods in, in that sort of time when I'd been writing and then I sort of... Um, I got rejections and stuff and I just kind of went, mm, this isn't really working and then did very little for a long period when I should have just kept going you know just kept writing uh, I think instead I went and played a lot of role playing games although I did end up writing part of role playing games so it kind of worked out in a way but um, yeah write, write more why, write more and keep sending it out Why are so many fantasy and science fiction writers into role playing games? Um, I think it's just the we're obsessed with creating worlds um, and not only you know you create a world in your fiction to show to people and have you know look at this world that I've created, look at these characters who are moving around in this world, isn't it very interesting? And in role playing games, you get to do that. Plus, um, people get to engage with it like real time. You know, you can put their characters in the world and they can sort of rummage around in it and see how it fits together. And you know, hopefully, in some cases, break it so you can see what works better. Um, I mean, I've, I've written short stories that are were based on role-playing games that I've played and characters. I mean, not necessarily I've just written out what happened in the game, but I still had a character and whatever they were doing in the story I was writing wasn't working, and I'd gone away and played a game with a similar character. Um, and then I sort of brought that knowledge back to the story to um, add into how they react to things. So I think it's just, you know, world creation and being able to test how characters work and how the world works against or with the characters. Just some silly questions to silly, to finish off, if you don't mind. Okay. Uh, Simpsons or Futurama? I see, I like them both. Dragons or spaceships? Um, spaceships. 
The Punisher or The Terminator? Uh, the Punisher. A Judge Dredd or Batman? Judge Dredd. Um, truth or Beauty? Uh, I'm sure there was a poem about beauty being truth and truth being beauty. Uh, let's say truth. Colin Sinclair, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Was that okay? Yeah, that sounded good to me. That was a lovely offer, weren't they lovely? They were. Yes. They were lovely. Right, so you're listening to the Brave New Words. Um, <laughs> I've been Ed Fortune. I've been Ross. I've been Dal. I've been producer Al. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Radio Bookworm. Oh, oh, you cannot. But you can you retweet all our things if you want to. That'd be lovely. That'd be nice. Um, and we'll be back. But not now. Bye. 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 Bye.